0: Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Hebrews, i begin with Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Let me give you a title for the message because some people like to know a title. Give you an idea what I'm going to talk about. And the title of the message is From Shackles to Yoke. From shackles to yoke. Hebrews chapter eleven, verses twenty four through thirty. And it says this the chapter which is known as the faith chapter, it says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, They passed through the Red Sea as as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. By faith, verse 30, another one by faith. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Brethren, we are on this last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Days of Unleavened Bread. And this is open season on sin. Not anybody else's sin, but my sins. Your sins. Those pernicious and stubborn sins that are strongholds in our lives. The sins that bind us, as it were, like shackles or strong chains. You know, the ones that we have become so comfortable with, that they almost come like second nature. We don't even have to think about them to engage in them. The ones that bring us pleasure, even as Moses said, he forsook the pleasures of sin, because sin does have pleasure in many ways. The sins that bring us pleasure, even though we know that they are destroying us. The ones that are like the walls of Jericho, which need to be torn down and destroyed. Brothers and sisters, what I'd like for us to look at today is some of the ways in which sin binds us. Binds us like shackles, like shackles that were often used to tie people down. Or locks us up in strongholds, fortresses, those places, those places like prisons from which we can't seem to free ourselves. And I want us to see that God does not leave us there. We have spiritual weapons. We have resources, brothers and sisters, that we can use, that God makes available to us to set ourselves free. To be free from the shackles. To have the chains broken. To be set free in Christ. What are shackles? Anybody know what a shackle is like? I I had some images from the internet. But I wasn't able to have a projection and all of that stuff. Anybody know what a shackle is? Is Sister U.S.? Yes, something that you used to bind the prisoners' legs and their arms. Yes, exactly. Yeah, chains too. Yes. So you have an idea what a shackle is. Uh, let me give you some of the, dic- the different, different dictionary definition. It's a ring or other fastening, you know, usually made of iron. You know, it's usually like a, a kind of a U-shaped thing and it has one part that would lock together. It's kind of similar to a handcuff. Things that you'd use like to hold somebody, to get their wrists to hold together, that they can't move and do all these things. Or oftentimes it would be on the legs or on the ankles. And they would often use that to hold prisoners together. And sometimes you have seen some of those things. Like a convicted criminal coming in for trial in the courtroom in this, in his jumpsuit, yellow or bright orange suit, and they would have their legs shackled. It's also a hobble or fetter. In the, in the, in the Bible, it often uses the word fetter, fetters of iron, or hobble or fetter. I saw the word hobble, and then it came to mind, hobble. Oh, that's the thing, that women used to wear a hobble skirt, and you wonder, you, you wonder why sometimes it's so difficult that you see some women wearing some of these skirts, and they can hardly move, because this thing is so tight around them. It, it's, it's almost like a fetter. It's almost like a shackle, in a way. I apologize if there are any women wearing hobble skirts today. (laughs) A shackle also, in a figurative sense, is anything that serves to prevent freedom, freedom of movement, freedom of procedure, and even freedom of thought. Because we can be shackled, not necessarily in our hands and our feet, but we can be shackled in our minds. And that's the worst place for the shackle to be. Because when there's a shackle, there's a, there's a confinement, a restriction in the mind and the way of thinking, it's the hardest thing to break away from. And I'd be the first to tell you, brethren, that I have some of these shackles up there too, that I'm struggling with, and I'm looking to God to help me to unshackle myself from some of those ways of thinking. And if you'd be honest, if we'd, be, if we'd be all be honest with ourselves, we do have shackles of the mind. That we need to get broken in order that we might serve God the way we should. In the book of Chronicles and, and so many other places in the Bible, it refers to some of these shackles that were used to confine people, to bring them under subjection, to bring them under confinement. I just look at one example, Second Chronicles chapter 36. 2 Chronicles 36, verse 5 through 6. It says that Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign as one of the kings in Israel. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And he did what? That which was evil in the sight of the Lord, his God. And what was the result of of his evil lifestyle? God brought punishment on him. And in verse 6 it says, Against him came up Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and he bound him with fetters or shackles. So he was a king here in Israel. But because of his evil deeds, God allowed a foreign king, Nebuchadnezzar, to take him prisoner, to bind him with shackles, fetters, hand and feet, and brought him in subjection, brought him into captivity in Babylon. If we live right, brethren, if we endure to the end, we will one day have the authority to bind the arrogant and rebellious rulers of this world with shackles. Did you know that? Let's read what the psalmist said. David, Psalm 149, verse 5 through 9. Psalm 149, verse 5 to 9. It says, Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. To do what? To execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishment upon the people. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute upon them the judgment written. This honor, this honor of all his saints. Praise the Lord. The people of God has suffered much at the hands of the heathen. But there is coming a time when we will be the ones to put shackles upon those who have shackled us. Another bit of imagery that comes to mind when we think about sin and what it does to us is the yoke. Y-O-K-E, not egg yoke, but yoke. Y-O-K-E, that one. It's another imagery of slavery and sin. Anybody knows what a yoke is? Uh, Bruce? Yes. Yes, so it's usually made of wood. It's a, it's a kind of a bar that they would put like you have two, uh, two cows or oxen or two donkeys or two mules or whatever. They would put a—it's a, a, a kind of a wooden thing. It's you know about this long, and it would fit over the upper part, around the neck, the shoulder part of their body, so to speak. And it's—it's it's to bring them together, to get them to work together as a pair. And they would be, for instance, pulling something behind them. It could be a, a plow. You know, you'd have them pulling a plow. So you'd have these two animals, and they are yoked together, united, working as a pair. Or they could be pulling some load. So that's the idea of what a yoke is like. Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 13 says Leviticus 26, 13 talks about the yoke of bondage which Israel suffered as slaves in Egypt. Leviticus 26 and verse 13 says, I am the Lord your God which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their bondmen and I have broken the bond's the bands of your yoke, and I've made you to stand upright. And there's a prophecy, brethren, and a warning. It was a warning to ancient Israel, but I think it's also a warning to us as the people of God not to take for granted the freedoms that God has given us, the liberation that He has given us, that He has set us free. Because if we are not careful, brethren, we could go back into slavery. Worse than anything that Africans experience coming to this side of the world. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 48. Deuteronomy twenty-eight forty-eight. It says, Therefore shall thou serve thine enemies which the Lord shall send against thee. So this is a prophecy to Israel. If they would persist in rebellion. If they would persist in disobedience. If they would persist in forsaking God's way, if they would persist in breaking the covenant relationship, it says, Therefore, shalt thou serve thine enemies which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst, and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron around upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. You know, the early church had its problems with shackles and feathers and fetters, just as we are prone to have the same kind of issues dealing with in our day. The book of Galatians is instructive in this regard. So let's look at a few scriptures here, uh, verses from the book of Galatians, and we will start in Galatians uh, chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Where did my Galatians go to? It's still here. So Galatians chapter 2 and uh, verse 4. Uh, Paul writes, And that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privilege to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, We have tremendous liberty, brethren, in Christ. Not liberty to do whatever we feel like doing. Not liberty to go about and do whatever pleases us. But liberty to please God. But it says there were some who were crept in unawares. They came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus. That they might do what? Bring us back again into bondage. Let's go down and look at some of that. And Paul was speaking here about this element of bondage that was being brought back into the New Testament church. This issue about circumcision. Whether those who were coming into the faith had to now become Jews. So they had to be circumcised again if they, in, if they wanted to be saved. And so there were some from the Jewish background who were trying to impose or to bring back into bondage these people who are being called as Gentiles into into the faith. So that was one thing they were dealing with. Another thing that they were dealing with, brothers and sisters, was racism and prejudice. It was extant in the early New Testament church. And if we be honest, it also exists among us at times. We see it. But let's read uh, here in Galatians chapter 2. Let's go down to verse 11. It says, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him. Paul said he withstood Peter. He confronted him because he was seeing hypocritical behavior in Peter. I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before certain came um, came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. So Peter was, you know, when... Nobody was watching. No, none of his Jewish friends were around. He was eating with Gentiles, and it was not a problem. But the moment these big-wig Jews came by, his friends, he started to shy away from these Gentiles. You know, or, you know they're Gentiles, and we're Jews. You know, We can't mix with them. Can't eat with them. And so that's what was happening. And Paul withstood him to the face, saying to him, uh, verse 13, and other Jews dis- dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas was also carried away with their dissimulation. I think that means bad behavior or something like that. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. And so so, so what was happening here? We were seeing Peter was establishing or, or showing this prejudicial behavior. You know, some of us may still struggle with that kind of a stronghold. You know, we look at our color. You know, your color is this, I am this. And, and we think that, but we are supposed to be one in Christ, brothers and sisters. You know, we can't be like the society around us. If the society around us looks at these things and uh, separates people based on your skin color, how you look, or where you come from, we cannot follow that pattern. If that's a stronghold in your life, It has to go. It says we are all one in Christ. We come from a common blood. We were bought with the same blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. And none is better than the other. We become one in Christ. So, you know, that's an issue. That's something we have to deal with. That's a stronghold that needs to be broken. Let's look at another example here. All right, I'll skip that one. Another issue that they faced also was wrong associations. That was another stronghold that they were dealing with. That was another shackle. The relationships that they were forming. So we look at the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, which speaks to this. It talks about not being unequally yoked. that's the word again, yoked. You remember? The, the yoke is brings two people, join them together, having them work together, united in that sense. But there's a danger in being unequally yoked. It's like trying to put a goat with a bull, you know, a big bull strong and you try to yoke that with a little, a little kid. It doesn't work. Or trying to put a stallion with a little donkey. We have to look at our relationships, brethren, to make sure that we're not unequally yoked. And by this I'm not saying, and, and, and certainly Paul didn't mean, we don't associate with people in the world. Because God didn't call us to live as hermits. He called us us to relate with people around us. Whether it's at your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your homes. Even members of your own family who may not be called at this time. But there's a danger in how we form these associations. There's a danger if we become too cozy, too caught up with the world. We have to know where to draw the line. We have to be careful of our associations. And I'm sure we're all wise enough, intelligent enough to know what that means. I don't think I need to elaborate. You see, because being unequally yoked, whether it's in business, God forbid, in sexual relationships, we had... Brother Adrian spoke last week about pornography, sexual sins, which was a part of one of the churches being spoken to there in in Revelations 2 and 3. We have to maintain purity in that regard, brethren. Because, you see, when we are unequally yoked, it does nothing but slow us down. It holds us back and it hinders our progress. Now let's look at strongholds. Let's look at some of the strongholds that we battle with. Some of the strongholds that we have to deal with is our ways of thinking, which I talked about earlier. We all have ways of thinking, patterns of thinking, how we, how we view things, how we think about things. And this, in, in fact, affects our behavior. Because that proverb says, "As a man thinks, so is he." We have other strongholds. You know, and, and, and I mean, there are just so many ways. You can think <laughs> so many ways, so many patterns of thinking, so many ways of thinking. Some people, their way of thinking is, "I always have to win. I always have to have the last word. People their way of thinking is it's all about me, everybody else I'm sorry eileen i i um if I put it on me will that work no turn around the other way turn the other way. The, blue light you. The, bu- the blue light towards me I think it needs a tape or something okay. I will try to be more careful. <laughs> Another stronghold is their natural disposition or bent. You know, everybody is bent a certain way. Some people, their natural bent is non-confrontational. I tend to be that way. I I, I don't like arguments. I don't like getting into fight with people. My wife is quite the opposite. (laughs) By that, I don't mean she's a warlike person. But she's the kind of person, we have to resolve this. We have to resolve this. We have to talk this through. You know, I, I can easily say, oh, we have a you know, I, I just leave it. No, no, no. With her, we must talk through this. We must talk this through. So we all have a natural bent. But even these things, Virgin, if we are not careful, if we don't look into them, they can actually become patterns and way of being that is destructive, that actually leads us away from God, that actually hinders our relationship with our brothers and sisters and our relationship with God. For some, it might be family dysfunction. Many people come from broken homes, from homes where we didn't grow up with mother and father, didn't have the influence, positive influences, or you could have grown up with both parents, in, a, in an abusive family situation, here we go again, I'm sorry. <laughs> it doesn't want to stay steady. All right, I think I know what I'll do. Why don't we do this? I don't know if that will work. No, it won't. Um, let's see. It needs a tape or something to, to hold it down. I put in here, it on here, do it work? Oh, duct tape. Nothing like duct tape. Solves every problem. Merci. Oh, to me, okay. Yeah, one of my strongholds is that I'm not a technical person. <laughs> but I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning. Yeah, family dysfunctions, you know, so these things, you know, because if you, if you grow up in a, in, a, in a dysfunctional family, the tendency is that when you start a family, if you're not careful, the same dysfunctions that you grow up with, you bring them over into your family situation. So if you grow up with abuse, there's a tendency to be abusive when you get into a relationship. With your children, with your spouse, whatever it might be. And there are general dysfunctions that some people have to deal with. could be substance abuse, alcohol, drugs, food, eating disorders, lust, sexual addictions. What about our temper? Temper, temper, temper. What I'm saying, brethren, we need to think about these things. Because, you know, sometimes we we are the way we are. And we say, you know, this is how I am. I, I can't help it. It's just me. That's just the way I am. But if just the way you are, or just the way I am, if that is affecting your relationship with others, and it's affecting your relationship with God, then something has to be done. It means we have to break that. It cannot continue to be that way. Because it's a stronghold. Other stronghold is unbelief. You know some people, they they always want quote-unquote tangible evidence. If I can't see it and touch it, I can't believe it. That's a stronghold. Because it goes against core element of our relationship with God. Because it says that everyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He's a reward of those who diligently seek Him. We have never seen, I've never seen God face to face, but I know He lives. I've experienced Him and His influence and, and, and in my life. And I'm sure you have too. Fear, that's another one. Fear. Terrible thing. Deadly. I can tell you that one. Because I know what that almost did to my life. Almost ended my life. Fear. Some people even fear fear itself. They don't even know. Fear has become such an all consuming thing that they fear that they will fear. What about pride? You know, it's one of the easiest things to see in other people. <laughs> it's much harder to see it in ourselves. Much, much harder to see it in ourselves. Self righteousness. You know, the other day I came across something somebody had sent me, and this, uh, I think it was Ron Dart, he says, and he, he had shied away from preaching about self righteousness because he says, You know, the moment you start to talk about self-righteousness is that you're forgetting about yourself. You're forgetting that the very thing that you can identify so easily in others is probably the very same thing that you're guilty of. So there are a host of things, brethren, that we can think about that can become strongholds. But where does that, all of that, leaves us? Are we doomed to be prisoners in these strongholds? Are we doomed to be forever shackled by some sin that so easily besets us? Or is there hope? Is there hope? This is what this day speaks to brethren, that there is hope. There is a way out. There is a solution. I'd like us to turn to a passage of Scripture here, Second um, Corinthians chapter ten, verse three to six. Because we are at war, brethren. We are at war. We are at war against this old man, this self. We are at war to break down the strongholds. In which we find ourselves to unshackle ourselves, to break the chains. It is a spiritual war, brethren. It's not physical. It may manifest itself in physical ways, but it is a spiritual war. And so in Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse three to six, we read. Paul writes, "For though we walk in the flesh." We are physical human beings. Though we walk as physical beings. We do not war according to the flesh. In other words, we do not war physically. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly or physical. But they are mighty in God. We have mighty weapons, brethren at our disposal the weapons of our warfare to fight this war God makes available to us mighty weapons mighty in God the new American standard reads it says it says divinely powerful it's not from us the weapons we have available to us the power behind that weapon is not from us it's from God he makes it possible divinely powerful And for what purpose? For pulling down strongholds. For pulling down strongholds. I see a a picture in the word stronghold here. Stronghold. It has a stronghold on you. It has a stronghold on me. For pulling down strongholds. Another version calls this fortresses. That's the picture. In olden days, they had cities which were fortified, had walls around them, so that the enemy could not penetrate. And this is what happens, brethren, with us. For pulling down strongholds or fortresses, casting down arguments. Some of us are very good at arguing. We argue with other people. We argue with God. God says, does this. And we come up with all kinds of reason and excuses as to why we can't do this and as to why we shouldn't do this. Casting down arguments, King James Version says, imaginations. And so these arguments, oftentimes, Virgin, when we come up with them, they are not real. It's an imagination. It's something that we concoct in our own mind and in our thinking. Things that are not real. But we, 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 we create these kind of a pictures and we create these kind of a things in our mind that they, they seem real, even when they're not. And another, the new, the new American Standard, instead of saying arguments here, it says speculations. Speculations. What that is telling me is that you're speculating, you're guessing. It's not true, but you're coming up with all kinds of a reason that's so, this is why this is, and this is why this is, and this is why I am so. But we need to cast down those arguments. We need to cast down those imaginations. We need to cast down those speculations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Because you see, oftentimes when we come up with these reasonings, brethren, in our minds, they tend to make God's smaller, and our arguments and our reasonings bigger than God. In other words, to replace them, to become idols. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, bringing every thought into captivity. This is what we must be doing, brethren. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So, our object should be on focusing on obeying. That in itself is a way to punish disobedience. If we fix our minds on obeying, obeying what God says. So, we've just read what Paul says here in, to the Corinthians about fighting the spiritual battles. But he didn't mention a weapon here. He didn't give us one weapon here in this passage because he mentions it elsewhere. And I think one of the places here we can look is Ephesians chapter 6. Talking about the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's turn to it. Starting in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the armor of God and some of the weapons we have at our disposal. Ephesians 6 and verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It is not a physical battle. It may manifest itself in physical ways, but ultimately it is a spiritual battle that we are fighting. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness or wicked spirits in high places. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. Stand therefore. What does it say stand? It didn't say run. Stand. And sometimes that's what is needed, brethren. For us to stand and face the enemy. Stand and face the adversary. If the stronghold is to run. If your stronghold is to always flee. Like Jacob did. You dig one well here, and the enemy comes and, and fill it up, and you run to somewhere. There's a time to stand. There's a time to stand and face the enemy, not to flee. There's a time to stand and fight. Stand, therefore, having your loins girded with the truth, with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all this. Taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And that's the only offensive weapon we have. The sword of the spirit, the word of God. To go on the offensive against the adversary. Not to flee. Not to flee, but to face the enemy. To face the adversary with the word of God. And we have ample example in scripture. This was how Christ dealt with the adversary. He faced them. The devil would come quoting scriptures. Twisting them. What was Christ's response? Thus says the word. We shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he was able always to use the word. To counteract the enemy. If he did it. Nothing less is expected from us. Nothing less. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We need that, brethren. One writer puts it this way, talking about strongholds. He says that strongholds are fortified mental positions or ways of thinking which dictate our behavior and ultimately our character. Strongholds, fortified, strengthened ways of thinking or positions that we, we, we occupy in our mind, and that dictates how we behave and how we behave. we keep doing it, we keep doing it, we keep doing it, eventually it shapes our character. There are chains, brethren. That are holding us. Chains. That's how the devil works. That is how the devil works. He wraps us with chains. Whether it's in a way of thinking or whatever else it might be. I'm going to ask my friend Bruce to to come and help me here a little. Yes, he's ready to be chained. (laughs) You see, that's, that's how the enemy works. He catches us and he chains us. Wraps us with chains. Because his intention, brethren, is to restrict our movement. It's to restrict our movement. We're not free to do what God calls us to do. We're not free to think the right way we're not free to hold right attitudes because the enemy enchains us and you know what sometimes you know and it might be a hand other times it might be around the foot so you, 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 where you should be going you just can't go you just can't move because the enemy is wrapping us and restricting our movement and worse than that, and I put chains around your neck and, you know, let me, let me not get into trouble here. <laughs> His parents are here, I would like to. <laughs> But you know, sometimes he wraps us brethren. And worse yet, we become so entangled that he doesn't stop there. He wraps us and he locks us. I hope this will pull when I put it on him. <laughs> Otherwise, i would be in big trouble. You see, this is what the enemy will do to us at times. And the worst thing is, he takes the key. He takes the key. Leaves us shackled, leaves us chained, leaves us imprisoned. We can't do what we are supposed to do. We can't live as we should live. We can't go where we should go. We can't achieve the things that God wants us to achieve because the enemy enchains us. But there is hope, brethren. God has the key. God has the key. Christ gives us the key to set us free, to break the chains so that we can truly be free and enjoy the liberty we truly have in Christ Jesus. I hope this can pull, or I'm in big trouble. (laughs) you're free how nice it is to be free from the chains thank you bruce how can we break these chains brethren how can we unshackle ourselves unshackle our minds brethren from wrong ways of thinking from the strongholds in which the enemy has us let's look at some of these we can use the Word of God. talks about in the armor, the sword of the Spirit. It says, which is the Word of God? We need to wash ourselves, brethren, in the Word. We need to find ourselves in the Word. We need, brethren, to use the Word, not just know the Word. Brother Adrian talked about that again. It's not just knowing the Word, brethren, but it's putting it into practice. Using it, brethren, for our spiritual well-being. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. It says, The word of God is like a two-edged sword. It cuts deep, brethren. We need to invite God. We need to ask Him to use that word on us. I need to do it. To expose the things that are beneath the surface that need to change. Ephesians 5 and verse 26. Let's, let's read that. I'm in the book of Ephesians here, talking about the church of which we are all members of that body. Ephesians 5 verse 26. It says, Ephesians 5:26 that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. We are the bride of Christ. We need to be washed in that word by the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, or shackles or blemishes. So ought men to love their wives. We can, that's, another, that's another issue. That's another story. We can break those yoke. We can unshackle ourselves. We can bring down those strongholds. With the blood of the Lamb. And haven't we been focusing on that that this season? The blood of Jesus Christ. Which cleanses us from our sins. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. It talks about the saints overcoming the adversary. And how did they do it? They overcome him. Overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb. We can call on that blood, brethren, the blood of Christ that was shed for us by the word of their testimony and because they did not love their lives or try to preserve their lives, this physical life. Another tool we have available to us, brethren, to break down these strongholds, to break the yoke, to unshackle ourselves is fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer. Uh, let's read quickly at Isaiah uh, chapter 58. Isaiah 58, verses uh, 6 through 9. Isaiah 58, verse 6 through 9. Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, that you may break every yoke? That's God desire, brethren. To break all the yokes in our lives, is it not this this fast that I've shown? Is it not to deal to to deal the bread to the hungry, and that you bring the poor and the cast out to your house? So that was verse six. That's the one we need to focus on. Is it using fasting and prayer? Sometimes what we need, brethren, is to deny ourselves, to humble ourselves before God to break every yoke. And here's another tool which oftentimes we don't use a lot. And that is prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. And I'll share a little story later. But let's look at an example here in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. When these Gentile nations were coming against uh, uh, Judah to destroy them and they were surely afraid. But God gave them a strategy, gave them, told them what they should do to win the battle against their enemy. So Second Chronicles chapter 20, we're not going to read all of it, we just read some of the verses. Starting verse 1. It came to pass after that also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them other, others besides the, the Ammonites, came against um, Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there, came, then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea to this side, uh, to this side of Syria. And, and behold, verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast through all Judah. So that was his, his, his plan of action. Yes, he was, he was afraid. But he didn't just stay in his fear. He didn't let the fear become the stronghold. He didn't let the fear take over. He took it to God in prayer to seek God's help, to seek God's deliverance. Right, let's skip down now to verse uh, 14. Second Chronicles 20, verse 14. Then upon Je- Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Je... All these names, they're just twisting my tongue. <laughs> anyway, said, so the Spirit came upon this, this, this fellow, Jehaziel. Verse 15, and he said, hearken ye all Judah. So he called the nation, listen up, all you inhabitants of Jerusalem... And you, King Jehoshaphat. So he wasn't, he saw that the king was in fear too. So he was addressing the king, the leader of the nation, and all the nation, everyone. He says, You guys, listen up. Thus say the Lord unto you Be not afraid, nor be dismayed for reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. And so when we are facing these giants that come against us, when we are facing and dealing with these strongholds in our minds, and our thinking, we ought to stand still, recognize that the battle is not ours to fight, but it's God's. He says, Tomorrow you will go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the cliff of Ziz, and you shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of, of Jeruel. You shall not need to fight in this battle, Set yourselves, stand you still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And so that was his instruction. And let's skip down a little bit further to verse 22. And when they began, so this was what they did. They didn't take up arms to fight the Ammonites and, and the Moabites. They didn't take up stones to stone them. Look what they did. Verse 22. And when they began to sing. Did you get that? They began to sing. That alone would probably confuse the enemy. That alone would confuse the enemy. I am coming to kill you. And all you can do is Sing. Sing. But yes, this is what God required. This is what God instructed them to do through, through, through Jehaziel. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. So God struck the enemy down, because what they sought to do was not to run in fear, but to face the enemy, and to face the enemy praising God giving God thanks, giving God the glory, and allowing God to fight the battle for them. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir and utterly to slay and to destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. So God caused brought confusion in the camp of the enemy that they ended up destroying themselves. And so Israel won that battle. Not by lifting one sword, but through praise. Praise in God. Praising God. I didn't tell my wife this, but I will share this story. Uh, normally, change our winter tires come around this time of the year. Uh, the other day, um, you know, my car was due for a maintenance check uh, to get your, all the things that they do. And I said to myself, you know what? Um, for convenience, uh, maybe it's not time to take off the winter tires. But rather than to go another time to go change that, like, do the maintenance work, and then go change tires afterwards, I'll just do it all at once. I asked the, 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 the dealership, "Is it okay? I mean, I can do that." They said, "Yes, yes." So I had everything done. Convenience, practicality. I like to be practical. My wife was coming home on Wednesday night uh, from internship uh, that she does in Orangeville and just as she was coming into our neighborhood in Keswick she was approaching this stoplights and she has shared this story with some of you who come on the prior line and uh, so it had on the summer tires that so change over and we are on summer tires the road was icy and as she's approaching this the stoplight she is slowing down so she's coming at this junction this is Woodbine and this is Ravenshoe going this way she tells a story. She's coming. She slightly, gently pressed the brake. And the car just wouldn't stop. It was just like hydroplane. It was just going right through the red... And now the red light was coming on. And she was going right through it. The light had changed in the opposite direction. And this man was coming to go across here. And she said she's trying to stop the car. The car just would not stop. It was just going right through the light. Poor girl. She said... (laughs) She said she didn't know what to do. She, she, she just lifted up her hand and was just asking God to, to help her. Strange thing to do. I would probably have grabbed grab onto the steering wheel and tried to, 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 to turn it where I want to go. But she said she just lifted up her hand. And, and the, the other fellow apparently was coming the other way. saw and he, he slowed down and she was able to go through, avoiding an accident. You know, sometimes, brothers and sisters, we have strongholds. My stronghold was that of practicality. And I, I apologize to you for doing, changing the tires so quickly. I could have waited. But I want to be practical. And sometimes, you know, some of these things we do, we don't, we don't even know why we do them, but we just do them. It could have cost her her life. But I admire the fact that here she was, almost facing death. And the unnatural reaction was, I I guess maybe she was just saying, Father, take me, (laughs) or or help me, or I I, I don't know. But at least she lifted her hands to praise God. God heard and he answered. Sometimes, brethren, what we need to do is do like what Judah did here. Approach the enemy with praise and with thanksgiving. You don't know, and beside myself, I don't know how to deal with this problem. But you know what? I'm just going to offer a praise. Father, you take me through this. Father, you fight this battle. Father, you deliver me out of this. Some of these strongholds too need to be torn down. Just as the walls of Jericho. Here again is another strange thing. They were marching around Jericho. God told them to march around the city. Not with arms, but with musical instruments. March around the city for a while they were to keep quiet. And on that seventh day, march around seven times. You can read the story in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 6. And it says on that last day, they shouted. And there was this shouting of Praise and thanksgiving. And what happened? We know. The walls of Jericho fell. The stronghold came down. It was broken. It was torn down. We need to trust God, brethren, to fight our battles for us. We need to trust him, brethren, to tear down the strongholds in our lives, in our minds. He can do it. said he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. The same resources that King Jehoshaphat and Judah had available to them, that Joshua and those children of Israel had as they marched around Jericho. The same resources that they had available to them. The same God who did that for them is the same God whom we worship. And he's able to help us to tear down whatever strongholds that we may be facing. Another very important weapon that he makes available to us is his spirit, his Holy Spirit. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6 says, It is not by might, not by human might, nor by power, but by my spirit, God says. A beautiful example of that was in Acts chapter 12. You remember when Peter was imprisoned? Chains, chains around his ankle. The saints prayed and an angel came in the middle of the night. Rise up, Peter. Chains fell. They were broken. It's the same God whom we serve, brethren. There's nothing too difficult for God. There's no chain that he cannot break. There's no shackle that he cannot get off of us. There's no stronghold that God cannot tear down out of our lives. But will we trust Him? Will we trust Him? Will we believe Him? Will we obey Him? Strongholds also will be broken when there's true repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 to 11 says, For godless sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, What vindication, yes, vindication, being set free, having the chains broken, having the strongholds torn down when we repent, when we take it to God. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. John chapter 8 and verse 32 says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Uh, This truth here can very, very well mean the Word of God. But it also means truth in the sense of honesty, integrity, genuineness, wholeness, all of that. That will set us free. So we have to be willing to admit that we do have strongholds in our lives if we are truly to be able to be set free from them Someone once said that sin, not removed, and pain, unresolved, will always be a hindrance to changing your way of thinking and breaking strongholds. So if there are the strongholds in your lives, brethren, in my life, if we do not seek to remove those things, if we do not seek to address the pain that's hurting us, they will always be a hindrance to us changing. There will always be a hindrance to us breaking down those wrong ways of thinking, to tearing down those strongholds. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 calls upon us to change our thinking, to change our thinking, our way of thinking. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. 1 John 5, verse 4 and 5. It says that For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith. We're not going to do it, brethren, without trust in God. We're not going to do it, brethren, without faith in God. He has to be the object of our faith. We have to look to him, brethren, to help us. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? In order to break every chain, brethren, and every shackle of sin that binds us, to tear down and to destroy every stronghold that sin holds us with, we have to make a shift. We have to maintain a different connection, brethren. We have to trade in our shackles. We have to trade in the yoke of sin and become yoked to Christ. Ultimately, that is the answer. Being yoked to Christ. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus Christ said these words Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you laden, brethren? Are you worn down? Are you beset by things that are just holding you down and you cannot seem to break away from them? Christ invites you, brethren. invites each and every one of us. If we are laden, if we are bogged down, if we are in strongholds, He says, come to me, come to me, and I will give you rest. None of us as, as Christians, as believers in Christ, should be bearing weight, which Christ said we can cast upon him. Come unto me and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is Easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Brethren, I invite you. I invite myself. Whatever those burdens might be. Whatever those shackles may be. Hand them over to Jesus. We don't have to go around bearing burdens and things which are weighing us down when they shouldn't. And Christ promises to bear our burdens. We can unshackle ourselves from the adversary. We can unshackle ourselves from the wrong ways of thinking. Those strongholds in our minds. I'm about to close, brethren. But I feel I should ask a word of prayer. Our God and our Father in Heaven, God who knows our hearts, God who sees the heart, God who knows the pains we bear, we invite you, Father God, to take full charge of our lives. Father, you and you alone knows the weight of every heart. And today, great God, there may be some here, Father, who are bearing burdens or carrying burdens that they should not be carrying. There are some, Father, who are shackled in their minds, their way of thinking. The enemy has them wrapped in chains, Father God. And they do not fully understand the liberty they have in Christ Jesus. I ask you, Father God, to help us to trade in those shackles. Trade in that yoke, Father, that the enemy places on us. And to take your yoke upon us. Because indeed your yoke is easy. And your burden is light. Father God in heaven. We commit our ways to you Father. And we ask you to help us. As we draw to a close this day of unleavened bread. That we will cast every care upon you. No matter what. Because you are able Father to deliver. You are able great God to set us free. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. I will close with the words from a hymn. It's called Pharaoh's Bondmen." This hymn was written by John Newton. And as some of you may well know, John Newton, he knew what it was to live as a slave. And he also knew what, to, what it was to be on the other side as he became a slave master and a slave trader. But he eventually found Jesus. And his life was changed Forever. And he wrote these words in Pharaoh's Bondmen. It says, Beneath the tyrant, Satan's yoke, our souls were long oppressed, till grace our galling fetters broke and gave the weary rest. Jesus, in that important hour, his mighty arm made known, he ransomed us by price and power and claimed us. his own. Now freed from bondage, sin, and death, we walk in wisdom's ways and wish to spend our every breath in wonder, love, and praise. I pray, great brethren, that God will truly bless each and every one of us, will help us to break the shackles, will help us to cast the cares upon him, will help us to become fully yoked to him, and to reap the rewards of a life lived in Christ. May God bless you all. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you were blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at CGIBurlington.org.